You're listening to Leaning Toward Wisdom podcast. My name is Randy Cantrell. I'm your host here. Greetings and welcome inside the Yellow Studio. The website is leaningtowardwisdom.com. And would you believe that we are a couple of weeks away from the end of the Yellow Studio 2.0? And so it provokes the question, why do you want what you want? And why do I want the Yellow Studio 2.0 to end? And we'll answer it. Think about it. Lots of people want more money. Many don't necessarily have some specific thing they would like to do with it necessarily. They just think if they have more of it, they'll be happy, happier. I don't know. Maybe you want a nicer house, a new car, exotic vacations, fancier restaurants, more microphones, more podcast gear. Many people want recognition. Don't even know why. Envying famous people. It's a thing. And I suppose all of us can imagine what life might be like to hear applause. Be chased by the paparazzi. Be chased for an autograph. Oh, I don't. You kidding me? Man, I love anonymity. It's great. I can't imagine. Can you imagine just eyes being peeled on you because you're some famous person. I I don't even like to be looked at. I don't like to be looked at when people don't have a clue who I am. Uh, but everybody wants something. And I would suspect most of us, we want any number of things. I know that for me, and I think I'm in pretty grand company. It's pretty easy to figure out what you don't want. Sometimes that's way easier and figure out what you do want. And I'm rather fascinated when I look at my own life and do, do the deep introspection and figure out, okay, what am I running away from or what am I turning loose of and what am I running toward and what am I hoping to grab a hold of? Um, I don't know. It's the yin and yang of it all. Uh, does it speak to our lack or maybe does it speak to our lack of gratitude? or our lack of contentment. I don't know. Maybe it just speaks to our discontentment with whatever the status quo is. Warren Buffett is worth, I don't know. I read a number, 87 billion. I bet you it's higher than that. I bet you it goes up. I bet you it goes up exponentially every single day. Don't you imagine? And yet he still goes to work every day trying to achieve and amass more even though he's giving away 99% of it. So he's, he's clearly not going to lavish it on himself. And now don't get me wrong. I, I would imagine Warren is living a perfectly grand life, but reports claim that he, he lives a ridiculously modest lifestyle for somebody worth what he's worth. That doesn't mean it's modest by your standards or mine. What do you want? What do you want more? What do you want more of? What is it that you don't yet have, but you would like to have? And when you get it, will it be enough? 
probably not, never is. I'm going to start by using leaning toward wisdom as a case study. And the reason I'm going to do this is number one, to just push this idea forward so that we can continue to think about it. But I'm also going to do it because I'm, you know, I'm, I'm rounding the final, well, it's not really a quarter pole. I'm probably in the last 200 yards of the sprint. Uh, to draw a conclusion to the Yellow Studio 2.0. Leaning toward wisdom kind of sort of officially began on Tuesday, October the 30th, 2001. And as a blog, now just bear with me because the timeline may seem confusing, but it's part of the context here. So Tuesday, October the 30th, 2001, Leaning Toward Wisdom was really a blog. I was I was mostly writing, and I was posting content online beginning in the fall of 1996. And in the fall of 1996, I was using the moniker Leaning Toward Wisdom. Now, the website was a URL that was as long as my arm it was a free page that I got with my internet provider, FlashNet. Uh, and it was all done in HTML that I had learned on my own. I, I didn't even know what a domain name was. I just had this free page that I could do something with, and it was just kind of a, a, a sandbox for me to learn in. So I wasn't savvy at all about domain names. And I did not register my own name, Randy Cantrell, until December of 1999, even though I was online, had a presence online in the fall of 1996. And in fact, I registered randycantrell.com in December of 99, and it would be February 2005 before I would have the presence of mind to go snag leaning toward wisdom.com. I'm, I'm slow like that. Now I was journaling. Uh, nobody called it blogging in the fall of 96. We were journaling and I was journaling under the guise of leaning toward wisdom. And I was doing this because in the fall of 96, I'm approaching my 40th birthday and I I wanted to chronicle some things. Now, this was not a diary kind of a thing. These were random things. These were, I really, I thought of them in the same context that I still do today. Insights, experiences, wisdom, philosophies, random things. And admittedly, I was all over the board. I'm not going to tell you that there was a whole bunch of focus in the beginning, um, scatter shooting thoughts and opinions and takes on kind of whatever was on my mind and largely driven by the things that probably were happening in my life and my career had two kids in high school. The oldest had already turned 16 and I can't remember exactly why I wanted to do it at the very beginning. That is when I began to write or to blog, maybe it's because the next year I was going to turn 40 Maybe it's because I could sense that I've got these high school kids in my house and that's not going to last much longer. 
I was operating a company and I was putting in the typical long hours that anybody who's at the helm of a multi-million dollar company has to put in and, and maybe the journaling was therapeutic. Well, no, it was, I'm certain that it was okay. But now I'm old and I just, I can't remember all the details of the beginning. I mean, come on. It was a long time ago. Uh, the internet was young and relatively speaking, so was I, because it was a long time ago. Well, the fall of 96, I'm starting to kind of write a little bit, but it's really sporadic. And within a year, I had put an audio file on this HTML website that I had. No, it's not podcasting. Nobody, that term had not yet been invented. We didn't know what that was. Keep in mind, Apple iTunes was launched on January the 9th, 2001. I'm all the way back to 1997. It's going to be, it's going to be three years before the term podcasting is going to enter from the time Apple iTunes was launched. So Apple iTunes is launched on January the 9th, 2001 podcasting. That term came about in 2004. I do remember hearing about and reading about journaling. And then those of us that were putting some audio online. And by the way, that was very sporadic audio blogging or audio journaling. And that's what prompted some of my very first audio files, uh, to go on this ridiculously awful website that I had built. You know, hard drive space was hard to come by. Drives were expensive. Nah, I don't have the original files. Probably a good thing. Because when I abandoned that original website, which I can't remember what it was because, well, I didn't keep any of those original files. I didn't keep any of those original things. So all that content went away. Probably a blessing, by the way. In fact, I'm sure. I'm sure it's a blessing because I would imagine that all that stuff was pretty horrid. But the point is the question, why did I want what I wanted? I mean, was it expression? Was it brain dumping? Was it venting? Was it chronicling? I'm going to tell you, I think all of those things were on my mind. I can tell you what was not on my mind. And what was not on my mind is building an audience. And I've said this to you countless times before. I did not look at the internet. I wasn't smart enough to look at the internet and think, Ah, man, man, look at the business opportunities that this thing's going to, going to afford. Um, because I was running brick and mortar and, you know, I had a brick and mortar mindset and only in my business endeavors, did I really want to build an audience, if you please. And this wasn't that this was just me as a person. So building an audience was not remotely on my mind. It never dawned on me that anybody would read or listen other than my kids. So fast forward to the beginning of 2005 and now I'm much clearer. I'm much clearer about what I want. And so I register leaning toward wisdom.com and I start the podcast. Now, WordPress was not commonplace, but it was around. 
And if you're a web person and you know what WordPress is. And so I found some local guy who had moved to Plano, Texas from Austin, and he did some freelance web work. And I somehow stumbled onto him and kind of liked his work. And he worked in something that called expression engine. Now expression engine was not anything I was familiar with, but I wasn't familiar with WordPress cause it wasn't commonplace blogger. You remember blogger blogger was really the thing. And I had been using blogger. Well, expression engine was a CMS, a, a content management system like WordPress, but it was, it was on the scene at least two years before WordPress, but it came after blogger. Uh, I think I spent a couple of hundred bucks. I think I gave this guy a couple of hundred bucks to design me a site because I didn't know anything about this. I didn't know anything about web design. I, I had just learned enough HTML to be really ugly and dangerous. Now I liked the design. In fact, I liked the design quite a lot that the guy gave me, but blogging and audio blogging or journaling and audio journaling. Once I got the new design up and running, my creativity just completely stalled. I was busy with work. I was busy with family. I didn't have time to figure out how to pilot this new stupid web-based software. And so the site began to grow moss. And I had so wanted, you know, this new snazzy design, or at least I thought I did, right? Be careful what you wish for. And instead, what I found myself doing is I found myself reverting back to the analog world where I was writing in my notebooks and I found myself resorting back to blogger. I mean, why did I want this new cool design? Cause I, I thought it would have the opposite effect. I thought, you know, if I've got a site that's more captivating to me, a site that I kind of like a lot more, I'll be more creative. I'll create more. Now I still subscribe to that idea. In fact, whenever friends will ask me for a bit of web help, which no, I'm not a designer and I, I don't offer any web help free or otherwise, I will urge them, you know, get a site that isn't perfect, but get a site that you're reasonably proud of because you're going to be, you will be looking at it more than anybody else. And in my experience, especially for folks that are just starting out with their first website, you know, if people like their site they may spend more time pumping out content. Now that doesn't always translate. I get it. You know, it's a little bit like the photographic evidence of your first child. You just mean you capture everything. And then by the time the second kid rolls around, there's just, you know, there's a 10th of the number of photographs. So I know some of the whys as far as all this started and what I wanted, but I think I know, I think I know the important ones because by the time I really was approaching leaning toward wisdom with a bit more strategic intention, I really just cared about one thing and that was chronicling insights and wisdom and experiences and ideas for my kids. And by now I'm 45 years old and the oldest is 22. Now that's real different. That's real different than being 39 with an oldest who is 16. And some important things had happened in those intervening years. I was about five years into a new role of leadership at church and I was running this company and I was 
I was, I was grinding, man. I was, I was climbing. I was pushing really hard, pushing as hard as ever professionally and frankly, pushing as hard as ever personally as well. But you know, some things were happening. A church was taking greater priority. I was giving it greater priority. The kids were, they were coming to the end of their college careers. I knew what was going to happen next. There was going to be marriage. They were going to launch their own careers, their own lives and form their own families. And I knew Rhonda and I were close to emptying the nest and it was not a midlife crisis because I don't feel like I've ever experienced that. It could be argued every, every facet of my life has felt like a crisis. Um, so I didn't have a midlife crisis and Ron and I have been parents who embraced every age of our kids. We weren't the people who, Oh, don't we miss when they were little? No, we enjoyed that, but we're enjoying this more. And that's just been, that's been life. And we were not reticent or reluctant to be empty nesters. Um, no, that, that was never on our mind. What was on my mind, uh, seemingly always is just mortality and the shortness of time. And I can think about subjects like this. And I realize that these can be depressing things. They're, they're not for me. In fact, death is not necessarily, it's inevitable. It's just inevitable. But leaning toward wisdom started with a more positive. Okay. It could be thought of, I guess, as depressing, but it really wasn't. It, it really began with a more positive thought. And that was, I'm sitting here and I'm holding a digital handheld, digital audio recorder by made by Olympus. And I'm thinking, what if our great grandparents had been able to chronicle their lives? What if I could click play right now and hear my great grandfathers speak? I mean, how cool would that be? And how sad or how angry might you be if you knew they, they had the technology. Why didn't they do it? And that was the thought that compelled me. Well, dummy, you've got the technology right here in the palm of your hand. Why aren't you doing it? And I was having these thoughts. This was long before the mobile revolution. I mean, we had cell phones that were just cell phones and not great ones at that. I, I was thinking like this when putting audio online was hard really hard. And in the early days of podcasting, when it was still hard doable, even for a non techie, but hard and I'm a communicator. And so that was really the urge. The urge was more of a, I, I got to do this thing, not for the world, not for the universe, not because I've got things that are all that noteworthy, but because there are these people in my life that I care deeply about and I'm going to do it for them. And so I did. And again, mostly it was to capture some things for my kids who I thought, okay, at some point, probably when I'm gone, they'll, they'll click play. Neither of them was married when I started. That's not the case. Now, Ron and I now have five grandkids, four boys, one girl. And so what began as a project mostly for my kids. And I guess in some smaller way for my wife had grown to expand to include five grandkids. And then along the way here, here you are. 
here you are. And serendipity kicked in. And I began to hear from a few people. I began to hear from a few more people. And I thought, hmm, why are these people listening? I still don't know. Uh, It could be, okay, I recruited some. I coerced a few. Maybe I even bribed a few. I begged a few. Um, But maybe you just naturally found leaning toward wisdom. And maybe you found a degree of it entertaining, compelling, I don't know, disturbing even. So disturbing you couldn't resist. I don't know. Whatever the reason, I'm thankful and I'm appreciative. And I'm not, it's not lost on me that you give me your time and attention, even if you do it sporadically, which I completely understand. I'd be shocked if anybody's listening to all of every episode. I knew what I wanted when I began. And it changed a bit. It has changed a bit over time. And it has changed because, well, the tribe, my tribe has increased the five grandkids. They were not even a thought when I began, Uh, but I was clear at the outset why I was doing it. Now, Simon Sinek has made a career of being the guy that most people think invented the one word question. Why newsflash? He didn't, but he's done a really good job of propelling it forward. It's a great question but I think it's a better answer. I know my why I know my why when it comes to leaning toward wisdom. And I've known all along why I wanted to produce leaning toward wisdom. If you go to the website and you find today's episode, and I hope you will, uh, you will see a picture of a Westie dog, a white West Highland terrier. These are my favorite breed of dog. Rocky and Rosie, they were Westies. I serve on the Westie Foundation of America board, uh, a nonprofit promoting the health of this breed of dog. And you see this Westie kind of attacking this ice cream cone. And I feel like that Westie with that ice cream cone, really clear about the reward for myself. It's an entirely a selfish endeavor to be sure. I wanted to pass on what I wanted to pass on. And I didn't ask my kids about it. Ron and I have never talked about it. The truth is I've never asked any of them ever if they've listened to a single episode. And I rather doubt they have, and that's fine. I I get it. But I also know how people are when somebody dies, man, come on. 9-11 taught us that. If you've seen that documentary of all the people who left voicemail messages on people's code of phones, you remember those things before we really had kind of serious voicemail. And, and people have hung on to these last words because it's the only recording that they've got of the voice of these people that were so important to them. That's not lost on me. Photos, notes, possessions that prior held not much meaning at all, they become really important. And so it's likely going to go that way with leaning toward wisdom with my family, and that's perfectly fine. Maybe, maybe that's as it should be. You know, I've said before, there are many older folks that I once knew. Uh, If you've been with me at all in the journey, you know that there was a period of time within the last two to three years, I've lost pretty much all of my older mentors, people that were really important to me, Um, and people that I wish I could pick up the phone and talk to today. 
And that thought of a grandfather or a great grandfather or great grandmother recording some thoughts on audio or video, it fascinates me. It really fascinates me because for the first time in human history, we are able at scale to create content rather easily and at little or no cost and chronicle some things, chronicle some, some of our life journey. And what, what a gift I hope what a gift that will be. And as arrogant as it sounds, I'm going to say it leaning toward wisdom is my gift. One of my gifts to my family. Yeah. You're crashing the party and that's perfectly cool. I've said it before. You're a happy accident and I'm grateful for you. Most of us, we think about what we want in terms of jobs and incomes and possessions and well, increasingly experiences. Younger folks, probably more so than my generation began to really think in terms of experiences, especially as it pertains to work and work experiences. My generation was pretty much chasing the position, the power the money. But isn't it interesting that when people retire, many, 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 many people, the first thing they say they want to do is we want to travel. We want to travel more. Oh, you'll never hear me say that. <laughs> That's the last thing I want to do. Traveling more ain't on my bucket list. Staying home more is on my bucket list. I'm boring like that. But come on, we want what we want. We just seem to rarely give deep thought as to why. I mean, why do you want that job? Why do you want this job? Why do you want to earn that amount of money? Why do you want that car instead of the one you've got? Why do you want to take that trip instead of some other trip or instead of staying home? It's a great question. Why is it a great question? It isn't always easy to answer. I mean, the Westie in that, in the graphic for today's show wants the ice cream for the same reason that you do. It tastes great. Uh, some time ago, I'm helping a fellow out with some kind of free counsel career conversation about his career. He tosses out a number. And it's the income that he hopes one day he can achieve. And I ask him, well, have you ever earned that amount? And very quickly he says, no. And I dig deeper. Well, have you ever earned anything close to it? And again, he says, no. Well, come on. I got to ask, well, why did you settle on that amount then? Long pause. I don't know. Just feels like an amount that would be right. How, how would it be right? I mean, he's got my curiosity peak now because I'm really trying to figure out and understand how he achieved this number. And let me tell you, this number was not some gigantic, oh, my lens, there's no possible way you could earn it. It wasn't that big of a number. And I said, well, how would it be right? And he says, I don't know. It just seems like a good amount that would give me the life I want. Well, you know me, I can't leave well enough alone. So I keep on probing. And for the next half hour or 45 minutes or so, we, we talk about this and I'm, I'm asking him more questions. Turns out that other than a newer model car, there really wasn't any specific motivation behind his number. His why turned out to be closely associated though, with his self-esteem, his perception of himself was that until he was able to earn that amount of money, he just wouldn't, he just wouldn't be as successful as he felt he ought to be. 
And it wasn't based on his own views. It was based on how he perceived he was stacking up to other people at his stage of life. He felt like he was behind and he needed to catch up. Man, I, I hear that more often than you would think in the coaching practice that I do. He was busy comparing himself to other people, and he didn't think he measured up. He didn't think he would measure up until or unless he earned that amount of money. Well, as you might imagine, that sparked an even deeper conversation. I have, I have talked ad nauseum, I guess, about the hazards of that habit, though, of comparing ourselves against other people. And I'm not going to belabor that there's enough talk about that out in the ether, but man alive, is it easy to do? I get it. I completely get it. You know, within a few miles of where I live, there are a number of multi-million dollar houses. No, I don't, I do not live in a multi-million dollar house and for good reason. I can't afford it all over town. This is a car town. This is a car truck town. We are not a carpooling town, by the way. <laughs> You'll see most cars have one person, a driver. But I will see big foreign exotic cars that, you know, any car guy or gal would just salivate to drive or to own. Cars costing $80,000 or more. Very commonplace. Cars costing $100,000, $200,000 really commonplace in Dallas, Fort Worth, Texas. The most expensive car I've ever owned until recently, because we just bought a new Honda CRV and yeah, I had to pay sticker. Couldn't tell you. I mean, it's been, it's been a long time since I paid sticker for a car, but you know, welcome to today's world. Thanks, Joe. Um, <laughs> the most expensive car until this last one was probably uh, $32,000. And I thought that was ridiculous. You know, I can't afford to drive an $80,000 car. I know guys who custom order Bentleys, though, a quarter of a million bucks for a car. And I can look at them and think, well, man, I don't stack up. I'm not even in the same deck. I mean, these folks are playing chess over there while I'm sitting over here trying to figure out where to put the checker pieces, you know, I mean, would it be fun to play chess? I don't know, maybe, but I'm not losing any sleep over it because I know something that maybe, maybe you have, but maybe you have not yet learned. And it's not because I'm smarter. It's just because I'm older. Maybe I'm much older. A man's worth, a woman's worth is not measured in dollars. The scripture says so. It's not the stuff that defines us. And you know it's true, even though it we don't always act like it. And maybe deep, deep down, we don't always even think it. Now, absolutely, a person's value professionally, it, it can be mostly measured in dollars. Um, Warren Buffett, I mean, he, he's worth professionally. He's worth a whole lot more than I am. And he's worth billions of dollars because he has made so many other people very, very, very wealthy his investment acumen and his equity position, it just warrants the money that he earns. Ditto for every other business owner, every CEO, every chairman, even every athlete. Now, you may not think that the CEO of ExxonMobil is worth 25 million bucks a year or whatever, but if he can get it, then that's what he's worth. 
dollar value is based solely on what people will pay. It's true in professional sports. It's true in the business world. It's true. It's true everywhere. And dollar value is just one angle of the thing. You know, I'm confident enough to think that leaning toward wisdom and it's not always good content, but I'm, I'm confident enough that it's pretty decent content, thought provoking content. I hope so. But here at leaning toward wisdom, there's no dollar value assigned because this isn't a business leaning toward wisdom has never earned a dime. The only dime that leaning toward wisdom has ever earned is just your generosity. And that frankly, pretty sparingly because I just don't ask. I don't ask and I have zero expectation. You guys ganged up and helped me buy this Rodecaster Pro, this little mixer that I've got. Um, and by the way, Yellow Studio 3.0 is going to have this same mixer until I upgrade to version two of the Rodecaster Pro, which Lord willing, I do plan to do, but leaning toward wisdom isn't a business. I, I don't earn any money here and I'm come on. I'm a capitalist. I'm not opposed to earning money. That's just not, that's not the why here. Well, does that mean it's worthless? I don't know. You tell me it's worth something to me when I'm dead. I believe it's going to be worth something to the people who love me and the people who are going to miss me and the people who are going to want to click play to just be able to hear my voice again. And so it goes. Okay. Enter social media. It's terrific. I've always thought social media was terrific. Yes. There are some really sticky downsides, you know, most notably it's the drive behind why some people want what they want. I'm real fascinated. And I have been since the pandemic began the number of the number of suicides by people, you know, that have big followings on social media, not anybody I've heard of necessarily, but people that are just so driven and I don't know, I'm not judging, but it clearly is something that's driving people's desires, money, looks, trips, vanity, all the rest of it. You know, the consumerism that drives the world economies, buying stuff that makes the world go around. Human nature is, isn't <laughs> human nature will not disappoint because people are always going to want to buy things that they don't yet have. We're all going to want things that we don't yet have, or we're going to want better than what we currently do have. And I'm not going to say that there's anything inherently bad about that. It can be. Wisdom is largely restraint. I have defined wisdom as getting it right in real time, and it largely is built around restraint and self-control. It begins with controlling our thoughts, which drive our feelings and our desires. So we see a friend and they post pictures on their Facebook account or their Instagram account about this vacation that they're taking. And, and we think, man, I've never been there, man. Wouldn't it be nice to go, you know, somebody posts their trip of going to Britain or Ireland. You think, man, I've, I've never been to Ireland. I'd, I'd like to see Ireland, you know, and all of a sudden envy enters and then it morphs very quickly into jealousy. And all the while we're thinking, no, man, if we were doing better financially, we could take a trip like that. Funny thing is we may have never thought about taking a trip like that until we saw their Instagram post. There's the downside of social media. It's not the medium's fault. 
It's our fault. It's our fault for being so out of touch with why we want what we want and understanding it, even if it's good for us. I have a lot of conversations with people because it's kind of the work. And sometimes the conversations will turn to specifically to dollars and to income and to managing money and people's personal lives. And sometimes the conversations morph into, you know, what would we do with extra money? And I wasn't thinking about any specific amount of money and the conversation, this particular conversation that I'm thinking about, it began because this person had made note of somebody who had won some big, big lottery. And I mentioned some specific things that they were talking about what they would do with some extra, you know, windfall kind of money. Um, and I started, they asked me and I started thinking of just ridiculously simple things, things that were just so not sexy at all. Things that most people, including my conversation partner scoffed at, you know, I, I, the first thing that I mentioned is, I don't know, you know, I'd take Rhonda to a, to a high end steakhouse. And I don't even like steak, but she does. And I mentioned a a few house renovations, maybe, you know, there's always some things that just, if you're a homeowner that need to be shored up. Um, I, I mentioned a microphone here or there. I mentioned the roadcaster pro two. That's a $699 piece of gear. That was really about the extent of it. And frankly, his list wasn't much. It wasn't much better than mine. It was different, but we were kind of chuckling at you get a windfall. You know, what would your list look like? And we ended up narrowing it down said, okay, suppose you got an extra thousand dollars. I mean, suppose it's not, you're not winning some big horrific amount. It was just funny to us that the, the, the big horrific amount Neither of us were thinking about some life-changing kind of thing that we would do with the money. I mean, none of those things that I mentioned, you know, they're not, they're not even lifestyle related. I mean, a steak dinner with Rhonda, cause she loves steak house renovations. Cause okay. A house can always use it audio gear for me. Cause I love to podcast. And I mean, at least I knew why I was naming those things. I'm not saying they were smart. I'm not saying they were wise. And I'm not even saying that I wouldn't change my mind if I did have a thousand bucks in my hand. I mean, true fact, I've got a $10 bill somewhere just tucked away in my wallet that I've had for a long time. I don't know. It's not money that matters, but it seems to occupy us most. And I get it because we all need it. And mostly we feel like, you know, if we had more, it'd be, it just feel better. I'd be more secure. Even though, you know, you can't trust it. Why? Well, because (laughs) so many times we just, you know, we just have these needs and maybe the needs are formulated because of the crowd or some other, somebody else. And maybe they're not at all. I mean, none of my three had anything to do with the crowd or other people, but maybe they have to do with significance. Maybe they have to do with respect. Maybe they have to do with love. Maybe they have to do with the ability to help. Maybe they have to do with fun. Maybe they have to do with pleasure. Maybe they have to do a deep conversation. I mean, I don't know. These are a few things that, that I want. Why? Well, there is a punchline to the show. There always is. You know this. There's the lead that I bury. Because these are the things that I value. These are some of the things that I value because they make me feel useful. And feeling useful means I'm making a difference. 
and making a difference feeds the beast that is lying within me. And for me, and I suspect for you too, the fuel that we most crave is whatever fills us up and you can't get enough of it. Oh, some people are shopaholics shopping, makes them feel better, fills them up your problem maxes out your credit cards too. other problem is destructive behavior because you're attempting to fill up a void. That's going to be unable to be filled. It's like drugs or alcohol, any other destructive behavior, short-term enjoyment or pleasure followed by a negative consequence that destroys us is not a good mathematical equation. Now, some people are thrill chasers. I do not understand people that love to climb rocks. I hate heights. There's not one thing about that that speaks to me. Oh, I'll watch it. I'll watch these documentaries and things on Netflix, and I'll sit here with sweaty palms and watch an amazement of these, as these people do these things, and I'm thinking, no thanks. I mean, they want it because they love everything about it. The risk is worth the reward because they value that proposition and it's extraordinary for them it is anything but extraordinary for me the mere thought of it terrifies me we pursue and we chase what we value we want what we want because something about it is important to us i don't should we accept that at face value probably not there there is some piece of audio gear that i want always do i need it is it going to make a difference in my life no I can just imagine having it though. And in that moment I can think, man, that'd be nice. Man, wouldn't that be terrific? I could think about house renovations, even though we're moving and yeah, that'd be nice. That'd be even, that'd be practical, you know, an expensive steak dinner with Rhonda. That'd be nice for her. She'd be happy. That'd make me happier. And frankly, that's the cheapest of the three. So yeah, I'm going to go with that one. (laughs) I'm going to go with that one. As I'm recording, this is Valentine's day, by the way. Now, largely, I think these ideas, they're worth considering because it boils down so often to what do I want for myself versus what do I want on behalf of others? And there's the lead that I've buried all show long until now. And it's why it's an important question. And maybe the bigger one is the pronoun contained in the question, why do you want what you want? Well, because it's all about you. Well, no, it's not about you. It's about me. Well, I mean, wait a minute. Who's this about? We all think we are the most important person on the planet. It's that age old adage. We're all listening to W I I F M what's in it for me. If you think that that Westie in that picture is going to share that ice cream cone, then you don't know Westies very well. You don't know any dog. very Well, you don't know a human. We're all largely selfish. Yes. Even those of us who are chasing significance and other things that appear so noble, And maybe we're not noble at all. Maybe we are supremely selfish. I'm not that jaded though. I mean, think about it. Significance is a pretty big thing. Whose significance am I worried about? Yours? Listen, I got my own significance to fret about. Don't get me wrong. I hope you're significant. In fact, no, I'll tell you that you are significant and I hope you feel significant because you are but I don't care about your significance as much as I care about mine. <laughs> I mean, come on. I figure you're worrying about your own, so I don't have to worry about yours because you're doing that job. I'm worried about mine because I know you're not worried about mine, nor should you be. Seriously, it's probably wise to question why we want what we want and to ask ourselves what what is being accomplished here if we get it. 
If we're the dog chasing the car and we catch the car, okay, what have we really done here? (laughs) And what if we miss? There's empirical evidence when it comes to income that we migrate back to some type of a set point within a real short period of time. Think about a big raise that maybe you have gotten in your life and the likelihood that it did not substantially change your lifestyle. It's fascinating to me as I sit across coaching clients and I will ask with great regularity the question, would you... would you say that it, it's fairly accurate if I were to to make a comment that most of your dreams have come true? 100% of the people, I've not yet had an exception, look at me and very quickly say, yeah, that's true. Isn't that fascinating? Doesn't it make you wonder if we're not reaching high enough? Doesn't it make you wonder if we're not reaching for some greater, deeper significance in it all? And doesn't it make us wonder if gratitude and contentment aren't necessarily the elephant in the room. And as I embark on closing the door, quite literally, to the Yellow Studio 2.0, hoping to open the door to the Yellow Studio 3.0, what do I want that to look like? And I don't mean the physical layout, and I don't mean the audio equipment that occupies the space, but why do I want what I want? And what do I want the Yellow Studio 3.0 to do as it, as it relates to leaning toward wisdom and any other podcasting I do, that the Yellow Studio 2.0 didn't do. And you and I both know it's not about the physical space. It really more is about the space between my ears. And the same goes for you too. If all goes well, I'm less than a month away from being in new digs, recording shows from a brand new location in a different space. And I'm going to spend the next few weeks thinking really long and hard about what do I want to do here? purpose of leaning toward wisdom has not changed it still is modern tales of an ancient pursuit but maybe it's time to up the game is it possible i don't know we'll see i've said before the constraint of this show is the man behind this microphone (laughs) pure and simple it's a talent constraint people It doesn't mean I'm a no-talent hack. Well, okay, well, it could mean that, but I don't think it means that. But it means I may have to push hard to overcome whatever the weaknesses are, and I may have to unearth some new strengths that maybe I've had but didn't know. I don't know. I don't know what it means. But I'm going to be thinking about it, and if you've got ideas, I'm all ears. If I took the headphones off, you'd see I'm all ears. Okay, I'm bald head and all ears. I can't thank you enough because you've been here. Some of you have been here since the beginning. Yes, you have. And I'm thankful for you. I don't know why you're here. I I truthfully don't, but I'm so glad you are. 
because as that starfish parable says, listen, it made a difference to that one. And if you're that one, that's good enough for me. My name is Randy Cantrell. I'm coming to you from Dallas, Fort Worth, Texas. And I don't know how many more episodes I'll be able to say it, but I'm going to say it this time. Greetings and welcome inside the yellow studio 2.0.